Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to this week's episode of The Violent Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Murgala, where I interview violinists from around the world on practice tips, career advice, and more. This is the first episode of 2023, so Happy New Year, everybody, and thank you for all the listeners who continue to listen to this podcast. It really helps us out to create amazing content for you. If you're new to us, please consider subscribing. Hit the bell notifications on a podcast platform of your choice to continue receiving episodes from the Violin Podcast. It really helps us out to create more content for you. Just a little bit of housekeeping before we get to the content of today's episode. We want to share with you that we have a brand new website, violentpodcast.com. So if you are not familiar with violentpodcast.com, I'm going to leave a link down in the description below. And you can find all the episodes. You can find all of our past guests. Everything looks really sleek and really cool. You can find out more information about our previous guests and our future guests. But most importantly, this is a great way for you to connect with the guests. And this is a great way to connect with me on the Violin Podcast website. So have a look at it. We are going to also implement blogs in the future. So on occasion, I'll be mentioning a blog post and I'll help redirect the audience over there. But yeah, definitely check it out. Really would love your support on that. What's great about a new year is that you have New Year's resolutions and on the Violin Podcast, I'm all about New Year's resolutions and I want to help you achieve your violin goals this year. One of them could be in the form of a practice PDF in which I have available as a downloadable PDF and take a look at the podcast show notes for that link. But most importantly, if you're struggling to have specific technique fixed, I have a specific YouTube tutorials playlist down in the podcast show notes. So you can click on that YouTube playlist, watch those videos at your own pace, at your own time. And I encourage you to watch that and leave a comment and subscribe to that YouTube channel. Now it is my pleasure to introduce the first guest of 2023. She is a violinist, music teacher, and mom who knows how hard it is to find practice. And specifically, she helps adult violin beginners make consistent progress and find joy in their violin learning. Please let me welcome Rachel Ridge. Friends, on the Violin Podcast today, I have violinist, entrepreneur, and music educator, Rachel Ridge, and I'm excited to talk to her because she, to me, is like an everyday musician. She is creating a path for herself in this online music world. So, Rachel, I want to invite you. I, I thank you so much for coming on the Violin Podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you and just share what I'm doing. Excellent. So I want to just dive right in. And I know you have a history of music education. You have a music education degree. What led you to go straight into music education? Was that your calling at first? Describe your story. Oh, goodness. Um, no, that was not my calling <laughs> originally. I always wanted to play violin. That was just like my heart's desire from like age five. And I couldn't really tell you why I was so in love with it, except that that's just, it spoke to me. And I finally convinced my mom to let me start lessons when I was eight. And I just knew that that was going to be something that I was going to do for the rest of my life, but I didn't really 
know in what capacity. In high school, this is a little bit of a personal part, but I developed um, psoriatic arthritis and I still struggle with that from time to time. So my hands will swell, um, my feet swell, and it makes it kind of painful to play. And I kind of reached a point where I thought that violin wouldn't be something that I would get to do in the future. Mm. Um, and then my high school director encouraged me to go to a strings camp in Michigan and be a counselor. And I fell in love with teaching and then fell in love specifically with just people who it doesn't come easy for them because I mean, I relate to that and I wanted to help those kids find joy in music. And, um, so then I went into music education and from there went into the school system and became like your stereotypical orchestra teacher, but really enjoyed that. I can keep going if you want. Yeah, I would love to hear more about it. Yeah, because what what's really amazing is the amount of dedication towards becoming a classroom music teacher, because it's not easy. You would just think that you're, you know, you're doing maracas and in the, and piccolos and in plastic flutes all day, but it's not, it's very much not because there are the music education paths where you have like certain age grade limits, where if you want to focus primarily from grade five, one through four or one through five, and then you want to focus primarily on middle school education, or you want to really dive deep into the high school level. So which, which category did you fit in and which one did you teach? Did you do the high school, the middle school, or the, the lower elementary? So I taught fifth and sixth grade. Our district was kind of split into an intermediate school. So fifth grade was more exploratory. So my main thing was the sixth grade orchestra. And so I was starting all the beginners out. And I know a lot of people like kind of cringe when they hear sixth, sixth seventh, eighth grade. I really loved it. They're awkward. They're funny. And I kind of relate to that. Um, but yeah, it was a big program. I had at the end when I left around 120 students total split between three classes. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of management. It was a lot of um, planning, a lot of prep work because you're p picking out the pieces, you're planning the curriculum, you're teaching the concepts, you're planning the concerts. It was a big job. And so part of all of that is why when I became pregnant, I was had to like make a decision because I devoted a lot of time to my job. I loved my job, but I knew that I was exhausted at the end of the day and to come home and take care of a child felt super overwhelming. Um, I've always wanted to be a mom. And so I realized like in order to be the mom I wanted to be, I was going to have to make a career change. So, I mean, it's a little bit of a career switch, I should say, because I left that, but then I just continued teaching in a private lessons situation. So I would teach from home, and I had at one point around 20 students that would come to my home. Um, yeah, so that's where I switched and why I switched. When I became pregnant with my second, I realized like that load of students was going to be a bit much for me to handle kind of side note we're anticipating our third so wow congratulations yeah, that's um fairly recent so we are um that's part of why i started doing the online stuff because i was like i can't 
I don't want to stop teaching. I don't want to stop um, providing for my family in a financial sense, but I can't just fill all of my days because then it's basically what like working at the school again. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that you're still away from your family, right? I think having that flexibility is something that I'm starting to slowly realize with with our son as well. And the traditional private lesson job doesn't work for a traditional school schedule, you know, with the school schedule, as I'm sure you're aware, right, there's eight to 3pm. And if you're a private lesson teacher, all those lessons happen after school. And if you know, my wife is also a musician. So some of us have to make some sacrifices. It's either you make sacrifices in certain areas of your musical career, which I'm okay with. That's something that I've also wanted to to kind of make an adjustment in this area as well. But at the same time, it, it kind of forces me to pivot and think about my family and think how I want to earn a living as a musician. But I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really happy to hear that you're not just giving up music altogether for this for this switch. You're adjusting, you're adapting, you're making a, a career. I like not maybe a career switch, but maybe a career pivot. I would say yeah. it's, it's very much a pivot because you're still doing what you enjoy. You're still creating an impact and providing value for your families, for the, for the students, and even for your online stuff, which we're going to get to in a moment. How did you decide to that online courses and specifically adult learners? How did you come to that realization where you wanted to teach adults? Yeah. So um, when I started to consider online courses, I did immediately think of adults just because they're the ones that were going to be purchasing stuff. And I didn't think kids tend to need a little bit more in person. They need that personal connection. They need a little bit more accountability that you can get from a lesson. And while I think some kids can benefit from some online stuff, it may not be the best learning tool for them. But adults like that. We like that independency. We like being able to set our own pace, set our own structure, especially people that I've encountered who learn instruments later in life. I have taught several in-person adults, and they like to set their pace. They like to have a little bit more control with that because they're very motivated. They picked this understanding how difficult it was going to be. They're not as naive as a young kid who's like, oh yeah, look at me, I'm already great. And uh, they have this dedication from the beginning um, that I thought an online structure would really help and benefit. And the other part of it that sparked my interest was I've had several adult students come and be like, I can only do once a month lessons, or I can only do every other week or they would stay with me for a few months and then jobs or school would pile up and they would need to leave. And then they'd say, oh, I'll, once this settles down, I'll come back. And then they just never did. And I would follow up and they would be like, I'm really sorry. I just don't know that I can continue at this time in my life. So I thought this online course could be something that provides that material that they need to learn in a structured way that they're not like, guessing through going through and sifting through other like, YouTube videos and stuff that's planned out for them. 
but also give them that flexibility of learning from home so they don't have to travel and feel bad because they missed a lesson. It's there when they're ready for it. I think that's a fabulous idea. And I think this is actually, we're, we're in a time right now where I'm starting to see a lot of entrepreneurs like you and me, and actually Julia Reddy, who was on the Violin Podcast a few episodes ago in this season, I recommend you checking that episode out as well, because she exclusively teaches adult learners as well. Very much, very much like you, she just became a mom. And she's, you know, gonna have some time off, of course, she's the host of the Violin Class Podcast. But it, her, your story reminds me of her a lot because a lot of parents who want to have families sometimes don't, or a lot of adults who want to have families oftentimes are kind of restricted or they feel like they can't because of their work schedule. A lot of work schedules, afternoons, evenings, they're afraid that they're not going to be spending time with their family. But a lot, what I'm seeing right now in the classical music industry is a lot of entrepreneurs like yourself, like Julia, like um, like uh, David Taylor, who I interviewed also, are kind of creating their own path. They're but most importantly, they're providing value. I think that's the most important thing that whatever you're selling or whoever you're selling to, you are specifically selling a course of violin beginner tutorials or a violin beginner class online course towards a specific niche audience. And that is what I want to point out because I feel like there is some kind of renaissance of adult learners who wants to, who want to learn. I, I, my oldest is 72 years old and she does lessons in person with me. It's, it's gnarly. It's, she's done Suzuki book one, she's playing Allegro and she's loving it. Um, who was, what was the oldest age you taught in person? Do you, do you recall? Um, I believe she was in her fifties. So she never really told me. <laughs> well, I feel like once you reach an age, like you kind of don't want to share your age. But <laughs> my, my student was like, no, shame. I was like, yeah, I'm 72. And I started this many months ago and I'm still trying to learn. I'm taking it as a hobby. And as you said before, like a lot mm -hmm. of these adults don't have time. So they are considering this as a hobby. And it reminds me of an experience that I had earlier this year where I had a student who was willing to do Zoom lessons with me, he said something very interesting where he was like, in your 20s, you're trying to build your career. In your 30s, your career is established and you're trying to, you know, you know make a lot of money. 40, your 40s is where you're trying to earn a lot of money for retirement or whatever. 50s is when you start getting a little older, where you're starting playing on retirement. And once you've reached the 50s, then you've, you've spent maybe the last 20 years of your life working. So there were two things that were lacking. So he had time, but no money. And then he had money, but no time. And then at this point he had both, but then he started realizing that violin was really difficult. Unfortunately, he's not my student anymore because work kind of just took over. But that's the, that's the solution that I'm seeing that you're providing is you're trying to provide a cost-effective solution and good quality materials. And one other component that I wanted to point out that I wanted to add because you can go through your YouTube videos and there's some that are really well planned out, um, but you're not going to get feedback or support along the way because you're just, it's free. It's a free resource. You're just going through the search engine basically. Um, but I didn't want my course to 
I wanted to provide more. So I have a private Facebook group where people can ask questions, they can show me their progress, they could record themselves playing something, and then I will give. So it's kind of like a Zoom lesson, but just delayed in the feedback, obviously. So you would record yourself, upload that. Um, I've had a couple of students who have been a little nervous about that, and I've allowed them to send me a private message instead, just because they're brand new to it, and they are nervous about sharing their first video on social media. Um, so I will give feedback and say, oh yeah, this sounds really great. I would try this practice technique and give them that direct feedback that you'd get from a one-on-one -on -one lesson. It's very similar to what Zlatha, the violinist, who is um, a, who's a YouTube creator yes, uh, of the Violin Lounge. She does something very similar in her episode. I also recommend that you um, the audience listens to that episode because what she does is like a video exchange where if for some reason she is trying to figure out a Zoom lesson with some other person from a different country in a different time zone, sometimes the timing may not work. However, what you can do is the student can send you a video and then you can send a separate video back as like a video exchange. So that's one idea. And yeah, I, I love the idea of a private Facebook group. You know, many entrepreneurs do that with their courses. So that way they have community. I think adults need community. So that way they understand that they're all in this together, that there's just not one person who's struggling. Everyone is trying to figure this out. Everyone's trying to learn how to play this wooden sound box on their shoulder. You know, it's not natural for us to do that. You know, I always joke around, we're not popped out of the womb knowing how to play an instrument right away. You know, this is a skill that is taught and I love what you're doing with it. It's really, really awesome. And how long has this course been available on your website? It's fairly new. I actually started this whole brainstorming journey back in February, I want to say, and I had it on the website ready to purchase by this past summer. So it is fairly new. I do have a few students in the course already that are enjoying it. Um, but yes, it is fairly new. You said you struggle with arthritis. And I remember when I was in grad school, I had a colleague who also struggled with arthritis. And it's it brings awareness to invisible diseases. How are you working through this as an adult right now? Do you perform at all or do you primarily teach working on your online business? Or in the past, how have you guided students to prevent injuries? Great question. Um, so this is something that's been, an, I would say, a lifelong exploration for me. As I get older and less flexible too, I'm learning more and more techniques, but I talk to my students, especially my adult students about doing other physical things like yoga specifically or Pilates just to build your body awareness because as adults, especially, we tend to be really tense when we play and we bring more anxiety to our playing, more anxiety to our learning that can cause stress and tension that will obviously, um, What's the word I'm looking for? More pressure. Worsen. Yes, and worsen any any pre-existing things that you might have. Because a lot of adults, especially once you hit a certain age, do struggle with some sort of inflammation or arthritis or um, just previous injuries from sports. And you don't want to make those any worse. So 
I talk a lot about bringing relaxation and techniques into your general life in general so that you can um, build that body awareness that will translate into your violin playing. Um, I also give very specific like warm-ups and stretches and talk about doing lots of whole tones and scales to warm up and just really focus on what it feels like and what your body is doing versus just diving into a piece and trying to force the notes and the rhythms and not paying attention to what your body is doing. So suggesting like a, a proper warm up because of the age and, you know, we're crippling bones. <laughs> I know for me, like I was, I was playing uh, Mozart's coronation mass in C major the other day. And there's like this cradle section. If, if anyone's listening, you know what I'm talking about. If you're familiar with that mass, that cradle section is just a bunch of 16th notes, kind of like Schumann Scherzo from his second symphony. It's just like a bunch of running 16th notes nonstop. And I definitely felt some pain in my left hand. And I'm like, I'm not a young buck anymore. I have to warm up. <laughs> I really have to warm up, especially it was in the church and it was really cold. So I really, really resonate with you on that with warming up. I think there is a, a plethora of resources out there for warm-up exercises. I know I have my personal YouTube channel, so I'll leave links down in the description below for um, different warm-up exercises that you can do through YouTube. But yeah, it's it's an interesting conversation talking about andragogy because andragogy is very different than pedagogy. Andragogy is the ability to teach adults. Have you? What are some of the differences that you have found teaching kids versus teaching adults? What are your observations? So I kind of already touched on one of the biggest ones that I've observed, which is the mental state that with the way kids approach learning something new versus adults. I mean, some kids do bring anxiety to learning, but a lot of times, especially the young, young ones, they're not very fearful. They will come in and they will be like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm so excited. And it won't be till a few weeks later that they're like, oh, this is harder than I thought. You got to give them a little pep talk, get them over that hump, and they can keep going. Um, adults will come in and they're like super apologetic. They're like, I sound terrible. Please don't mind. I noticed that too. Why is that? Why do you think that is? They're, they're always like, oh, I didn't. I'm sorry. I, I have this one student who's always like, Eric, I'm sorry. I didn't practice until today. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I... Because I feel like it's... There's, because I feel like there is this... A, apology that needs to be said because they don't want to waste your time yes right because they understand the value of our time while kids don't really know that they're just there for a violence to make it fun but they understand that they're paying for something and they want to make sure they get the best value out of you and they feel guilty yes i was gonna say i think it's twofold i have found that yes they are very aware of the fact that they're paying you but so they don't want to waste their own time they don't want to waste your time and i heard that a lot so i actually worked with one of my in-person adult students when creating this course and that was something she said was i don't like wasting your time um so that's part of it the other part i think is i found that Types of people who are drawn to learning the violin are very perfectionistic and they hold themselves to a very high standard. And I don't know why that is. I just find that that's kind of a common theme is that people who are drawn to learning instruments, violin specifically, 
have a very high standard for what they think they should be at. Um, and it's not always realistic. Um, and they have a love for it. So they want to push themselves for that level that they think they should be at. And when they don't reach it, they become self-critical. Can I share with you a really funny story? In, in grad school, I was approached by this one, maybe computer science or some kind of engineering student. And this the student went through the music department of my of my graduate school and then of course go to the grad TAs, whoever wants to accept the student or whatever. So I have a meeting with the student and you know, very ambitious person. Not has not touched a violin once. I have a meeting with him because we, we grab a coffee because we're both students, we're both on campus. And I go, Well, what are your goals? I'm like, I want to be like Isaac Perlman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dude, <laughs> I can't do that for you, man. And he goes, Okay, well, can you be more specific? He goes, you know, after watching Itzhak Perlman's documentary, I really see the value of the first teacher being the most important teacher. You know, Itzhak Perlman had a very had a very successful career because he had really good teachers along the way. I'm like, okay, first of all, I can be your teacher, but you're not going to be playing Paganini Caprices anytime soon. <laughs> I'll, I'll be I'll be upfront with you about that. Right. And then I told him just straight up front, look, this is this is the time that I have. This is the value that I can provide. This is the this is a series of steps on how to get to just holding a violin. I think that we should start there. And then we can discuss about maybe doing something a little bit more advanced, like in five or ten years. <laughs> right. And he and then he goes, OK, all right, fine. I'll, I'll send an email. So I responded back. It's like, OK, I'm just reaching out if you've made made a decision. Because I had some rehearsals that line up with a potential scheduling with him. He's like, unfortunately, I'm not going to be pursuing violin lessons with you because, because of whatever reason. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, everybody, you know, we, time is such a finite thing, especially with adults. You know, you most adult learners, from my experience, but maybe you can comment on this as well, that you have very similar schedule nine to five and then they also have busy lives they want they have a social life they have families to take care of they have money or some people are retired and and that's the struggle just trying to find that really consistent time and you again you're providing a solution where you can do courses online courses at your own pace at your own time what are some violent topics that you usually cover in your lessons what are some common things that you see in violin students in your private Facebook group that have like, you're always trying to answer this specific question? That's a good question. Can I touch back to something you just said? Please. Yes. Yes. So you talked about finding time and consistent time with your nine to five job. And then you have, um, other responsibilities after work and finding consistent time. So yes, I wanted to provide something that was flexible, but I know that a lot of people, if it's not scheduled, will be like, oh, well, I can do that later. And then before you know it, it's weeks and months down the road and you didn't touch it. Right. Yeah. And you also mentioned, I wrote down the word accountability. Yes. Too. So I have some things built into the course where you will you will receive emails or follow-ups from me saying, hey, have you done this yet? 
Um, so that's built in, but also I have a practice schedule workbook that you will go through to say, okay, this is my job. You write in your job. You write in, okay, I do groceries on this day. I clean my house on this day. This is my kid's soccer practice. This is, you put everything in that has a specific time, or if it doesn't have a specific time, give it a specific time and then say, okay, when can I realistically do this? Is it going to be two times a week? Is it going to be three times a week? What does it look like and when can it happen so that you're not putting an unrealistic expectation on yourself of, oh, I need to practice two hours every day, but that's not going to fit into your day. So looking at it realistically, because I know that's not something everyone can do well and making sure it's something that will work for your schedule is something else I've provided in there. From what I gather, it's like giving each minute a task. Yeah. So you ha- every every minute has which seems a task and a goal. Yes, which seems a little extra for some people at first, but I have found that when you do that, first of all, you're like more aware of what you actually do in a day, and then second of all, that doesn't have to stay that way. Like that can be your. You set it down in stone first and get into a routine, and then you can become more relaxed as you go along. But if you don't set the routine from the beginning, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I agree. I think just writing it down on a piece of paper. I love your idea of like having a having like a goal or a task list and just writing it down. Something about pen and paper or pencil and paper just still works to this day. No matter how many iCalendars or Google calendars you have, just a blank sheet of paper, writing it down, you're more, in my experience, even for me, I am more likely to remember that task and to accomplish that task because I have committed to writing it down on a piece of paper. And that's like my own contract with myself. I'm like, okay, I need to get this done. And I feel like that is very relatable to the adults. And it's that kinesthetic act of physically writing it down that somehow connects with our brains more too. I love how you use the word kinesthetic. Do you happen to know what kind of learner you are? Are you like a visual learner, kinesthetic? Are you like how do, how best do you learn the violin when you were growing up? So I would say that I'm very visual for a lot of things. If I can physically see it, it makes more sense. And I did learn piano first, so I was able hmm. to read music coming to the violin, which helped a lot. I also do hear patterns really well, so hearing the pitch recognition was something else that helped a lot though i'd say in most things i'm a visual learner i would say i'm the same i i am able to really just look at something look at a sheet of paper i'm able to identify the patterns mm-hmm. of course through a long period of time i'm able to identify those patterns really really effectively and efficiently because i'm used to seeing those patterns with my eyes that's something i try to tell my students all the time that i'm not giving you shradiac to torture you <laughs> i'm giving you shradiac so that way your eyes can know the pattern so that way your ears can hear the pattern so that way one day when you have to sight read mozart coronation mass in c major you know that this looks like a bunch of broken thirds. Right. Very simple, right? Besides that, I want to talk I want to dive into your role as uh, a mom and you you mentioned a lot of things with the whole entrepreneur and the mom. How are you and how are you f- finding the balance between both? Has has been successful when you started this journey into creating your online business? Can you dive into that? 
I would say that the biggest thing, the biggest lesson I'm learning is to be flexible. <laughs> I tend to be very type A, very scheduled, and you don't always get a reliable schedule when you are a mom, which is why I give people that workbook and then say, but be flexible because you don't know what life's going to throw at you, especially if you have kids. Um, so nap times are wonderful, though my three-year-old doesn't always take naps anymore. So mm. we're working current threes. Three-year-olds are very opinionated, independent little souls. So we're working on still having a quiet time and setting ground rules for that so that I can still have some time for myself. Um, but that's been a little bit of a struggle. But just being balanced, knowing that, okay, I've been working late these past few nights. Um, and now I'm not feeling so great. So I need to take a few days for myself so I don't get sick, especially in the current season that we're in understanding balance and making sure that I don't, I would say in the beginning when I was first trying to launch everything and this was brand new to me, I was really gung ho and really excited. And I was working like seven days a week all the time. And I was, I was excited and I was passionate about it. And then I was starting to get burned out and I realized this wasn't going to be a very consistent pace for me. Very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sustainable. It wouldn't be sustainable. Um, so weekends, I don't work on weekends. Um, I don't work more than like X amount of hours in a day, specifically at the evening so that I'm not taking time away from my husband. Um, so yeah, setting boundaries for myself has been really important and being okay with growth might be a little bit slower right now and that's okay. I am 100% on the same page as you. I totally agree. Everything that I've really have resonated with is the amount of rest that entrepreneurs need and not just entrepreneurs, but musicians. We often don't give ourselves enough rest, especially during this busy time. Uh, right now we're recording this episode at the end of the year and it'll be released sometime in January. But oftentimes we don't get enough rest and we don't know when to stop because if you're a freelancer, all you're doing is trying to seek the next gig so that way you can pay rent or you can, or you can, you know, provide food on the table for you and your loved ones, or even just for yourself. If you're just, you know, non-married single musician, doesn't matter. Everyone, everyone's situation is different. And that's something that I've learned personally when I was trying to launch the violin podcast and the YouTube channel, my personal YouTube channel, because I'm trying to do so many things at once because I have so many ideas everywhere. But mm -hmm. once you have so many ideas, you, you start spreading yourself real thin and your, right. it, your lack of focus to one thing significantly increase. Like you cannot just, you cannot just like put one idea in like the bottle. I don't know. For some reason, I just, I have so many ideas. I always try to spread myself really thin, it never works. So this year, 2023, I'm really going to try my best to just focus on one good thing at a time. <laughs> and just like building the online businesses, like violin podcasts and YouTube and the YouTube channel and whatnot. And at this point in your life, do you perform at all? Cause I saw in your bio that you perform a little bit or used yeah. to perform. Yes. So I was actually thinking about that because I was, you said spread yourself so thin and I realized 
didn't answer that question that you actually asked that earlier. Um, so I do have a side wedding business as well, and I'm actually going to be doing a bridal show in January. So that is one performance outlet because, I mean, that was my first love. I fell in love with playing the violin. So sure. still want that to be a big part of my life, even if it's just the same tunes at a wedding over and over again. But I want I enjoy that. I enjoy the camaraderie of playing with my fellow colleagues and rehearsing and performing together. I do sub for a couple of local symphonies as well, though I've stepped back from a couple of them that were farther away just because with the newborn. The commute starts, starts to really take a toll. It, it does. And one of them was also a time change. So doing the time change and the hour commute and then having a newborn not sleeping was just not going to be a healthy situation. So I've had to take a little bit of a step back, though weddings have been my main source of performing outlets. So. I love performing weddings. I think it's a great source of income for one, but primarily you get to play some fun stuff. You're not always yeah. around the very serious music like the Brahms or the or the Mozart 40 or the or whatever. You're not around serious music. You're a little bit more laid back. Weddings can be outside. You're in the sun. You're playing with musicians that you hire personally. So you get to play with people you like. Right. And you have a little bit more control and flexibility, especially over the summer. Most classical music seasons in the States and North America and Europe, I would say, happen between September and May. And then usually the summer orchestra festivals happen during the summer and people travel and do all sorts of stuff during the summer. So I'm I'm really, really happy that we are able to have this conversation, Rachel. If there are any, are there any specific violin tips that you can give that are practical for any age group because we do have teachers we have beginner violinists we have adult beginners can you provide some of your violin wisdom to our audience today oh goodness i know the world the moment i say wisdom that kind of intimidates a lot of guests so i'm sorry if i, if I did that but like <laughs> do you have any tips that you just normally share with with your students that can be beneficial the first, the two that I give the most, one I feel like is, is said a lot in the community, but it is very practical, and that is don't do it all at once. Break things down, list out what you need to work on, and a little bit each day is better than a whole lot on just a couple days, and making sure it's strategic practice, not just rote playing over and over and over again. There needs to be a plan. And the other thing, which I'm actually seeing a lot more of this, is just building body awareness. Um, this is actually kind of a cool story. I have a, I believe he's in seventh grade now, and he he just has some physically awkward. Like he does, he's not does his body awareness is not a strong suit of his. He's at the beginning he would stand really awkwardly. His instrument was always in a weird place. Um, He's a great ear. He's great, like mathematically. So rhythm was always great. He's always really steady, but the body awareness thing was just not quite there. Hmm. So he's progressed a lot, but at this point, he was struggling with a specific um, bow technique in slurring. And I had him do squats while playing. And I know that sounds really bizarre, um, but if you do squats or sit in a chair and stand back up while you're playing, 
that kinesthetic like confusion to your brain kind of distracts you from overthinking what you're doing on the violin and allowed him to play it like really well. And once he realized he was doing it, it was like, oh, okay, so this is now that this is the feeling I have to focus on when I'm not squatting or sitting in a chair um, so that he can replicate that better. So building body awareness, whether that's through a yoga practice outside of violin practice, doing long tones and watching in a mirror and just visualizing what's happening physically. But that's something I don't see taught much with young kids because kids tend to pick things up physically really quickly. But later, especially when you're teaching adults, you need to focus on that pretty much right away. And I feel like we as musicians later in life, we're like, oh, we didn't really learn this. How do we how do we figure this out so I don't have pain, so I don't have um, weird techniques, so I'm not exhausted at the end of this performance that we had to learn kind of later in life. But like I said, I'm seeing more of this, and it's really neat to see this coming out. That's excellent advice. And if you're not taking notes, I suggest that you do. Take like take a pen and paper, or better yet, pencil and paper, because musicians don't use pen at all. <laughs> take a pencil and paper, rewind, write this down. Because this is really amazing advice given by Rachel. Rachel, I want to thank you for coming on the Violin Podcast. It's been a pleasure and uh, for offering you know, your story and sharing your story with us in the Violin Podcast community today. And if you liked this video, if you liked this, I should rewind that. It's not a video. It's an audio podcast. <laughs> if you like this podcast episode, it would mean a lot to us if you gave us a five-star rating. Also, if you like to watch these episodes, go to YouTube, watch the clips. You know, it's it's amazing to be able to see my guests in person um, on on the screen. So, Rachel, again, how can people find you online? So, I primarily post on Instagram at Rachel Ridge, and Rachel is spelled R A C H A E L because my family likes to make that a little difficult. And then also on my website at www.rachelridge.com. Wonderful. And of course, I'm going to leave links to Rachel's posts in the in the podcast show notes. But if you're also wanting to uh, learn more about Rachel, you could also visit the violinpodcast.com. We have a brand new spanking website. So I encourage everybody to go onto that website to check it out and also some of our other guests on the Violin Podcast. Everything is now uploaded. Rachel, thanks so much. Thank you.